what's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. Thank you to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National and Spiritless. To Dine For The Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit americannational.com dine. Spiritless supports the conscientious cocktailer who wants to live fully but drink differently. Their signature Kentucky 74 is a distilled non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails. It's zero alcohol zero guilt, and just 15 calories per serving. Whether you go completely spiritless or go halfsies with a foolproof bourbon to lower the ABV in your cocktail, you can get your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use promo code to dine for to get free shipping. You're listening to To Dine For The Podcast. I'm Kate Sullivan. Join me as we meet the world's most innovative and brilliant minds at their favorite restaurant. Not many black folks say, you know, I want you to be a playwright, child. <laughs> On today's episode is playwright Katori Hall. What I love about Katori's story is that she saw a problem and she tried to solve it. In the process, she became the first black woman to win an Olivier Award for her play The Mountaintop. She is driven to write characters that she says the world has ignored. Her current show, P-Valley, is heating up the screen on the Stars Network, and Tina Turner chose her to write the musical of her life story. Today, we're eating at Miss Lily's in New York City. Over the flavors of Jamaica, Katori is breaking down how it all began for her, and we learn what drives this creative phenom every single day. Today, I'm on Houston Street in New York City, on my way into a restaurant called Miss Lily's, known for the tropical flavors of Jamaica. We're talking oxtail, jerk chicken, escovitch but it's the person who's meeting me here whose story will astound you. Hi, how are you? (laughs) (laughs) Welcome! So nice to see you. How are you doing? New York City. Sky-high buildings, bustling sidewalks, blazing lights. The Big Apple moves at an unparalleled pace. It is a melting pot of cultures and culinary experiences from around the world. And in Soho sits a restaurant that slows it all down. You could say Miss Lily's operates on island time. If you look outside, it's always busy. You know, you're in New York, you're in Soho. It's always a chaotic uh, frenzy outside. But once you get inside the restaurant, you know, you're transported back to the island, which is all about the music, the food, the people, the ambience and the vibes. 
Walk through the door at Miss Lily's and you forget you're in New York City. It's vibrant, festive, and funky, complete with reggae records lining the walls. Diners are transported to the low-key life of Jamaica. Miss Lily's head chef, Andre Fowles, was recruited straight from Kingston to ensure that the authentic tastes of Jamaica find their way onto every plate. Um, to keep that spirit alive, I travel back to Jamaica ever so often just to get re-inspired and come back and just try to make something new here and just bring that experience from Jamaica to New York with a touch of authenticity. It is an island-inspired menu with a modern approach. Authentic jerk chicken, seasoned with scotch bonnet peppers and fiery jerk spices. Escovich fish, oxtail, and curried goat are all on the menu. But it isn't just the food that people go crazy over at this popular Jamaican joint. It's the easygoing, intimate vibe that can be tough to find in the city that never sleeps. We're relaxed. It's no problem, and as they say, but it's, it's really no problem. In the heart of all the noise of New York, I'm sitting down in this low-key oasis to learn more about award-winning and critically acclaimed playwright Katori Hall. Armed with an undergraduate degree from Columbia University, a master's degree from Harvard, and a graduate degree from Juilliard, it is no wonder Katori's plays are attracting major attention. She has wowed audiences with the topics she's willing to take on, ranging from the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. to the story of a Mississippi strip club, to the life and legacy of the legendary Tina Turner. I am driven by this, this, this responsibility and this fuel and this passion to just do damn good stories. Today, Katori shares her story with us as we dine on Jamaican staples. We're starting with fried plantains, followed by escovitch, a Jamaican fried fish topped with a spicy sauce and a vegetable medley. On the side, coconut rice, a traditional rice simmered in coconut milk to make for a sweet tropical treat. And of course, to drink, ting, a refreshing fizzy grapefruit soda. Of all the restaurants in New York City, you're bringing me to Miss Lily's. What is it about this yes. place that you love so much? Time stands still. It feels so homey. It, it feels folksy, but in a different kind of way. You know, I'm Southern, and so I really kind of appreciate vibrancy and, and, and restaurants that kind of, um, you know, embrace the culture and show off a culture. And I think this is just a kind of beautiful example of that in New York City. You're from Memphis where hospitality reigns supreme and I feel like that's very similar to the experience here. And it feels like family and, and you know even when you come through the door like they're really quick to seat you and they're so accommodating and you know I just love it here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is this it? Hi! Ooh. Hi. Yes, Andre, this is Katori. Yes, Andre. <laughs> Pleasure to meet you. Oh, lovely Welcome to meet to you. Thank you. All Thank right, you. so I heard that this is one of your favorite it's dishes. One of my all right, so we have some sides coming up. Okay, it's all, yeah, I'm ready for it. I'm ready, ready for it all. I'm Thank you, Andre. I have like fish every day, but oh, this there's looks no amazing. fish like Miss Lily's fish. Oh, I can't wait to try it. This looks incredible. Yes. Oh, thank you. I thought you said a couple of tings like things. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Tings. Oh, and these are the plantains. Planting. Oh, they look incredible. Oh, this is wonderful. This is wonderful. This is a what? feast. You're from Memphis. From Memphis, born what, and raised. What does it mean to be from Memphis in mm. your perspective? I think Memphis is a very complicated city. 
obviously with a complicated history. Dr. King was assassinated there, and I feel as though there's this feeling of a heavy stain mm -hmm. on us because of that. But despite, I think, that stain and that hardship, like Memphis people are so resilient, mm -hmm. and I tend to be inspired by that city, my hometown, and I a lot of my work um, focuses on very resilient people. Yeah. I love that. You survive, girl. We be surviving. <laughs> well, I think it's really interesting because it, it is where you began your work. I mm -hmm. mean, the mountaintop was really put you on the map. Mm -hmm. Katori's first big hit, The Mountaintop, didn't just put her on the map, it put her on the top of her own mountain. After me, I want to do another march on Washington. Bigger, better, bolder. Another dream of yours. The play first premiered in London in 2009 and later debuted on Broadway. The Mountaintop is a fictional depiction of the last night of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s life. The entire play is set in his infamous hotel room, room 306, and through a series of encounters with the hotel maid, the audience gets a glimpse into a different side of the civil rights leader. When the play opened on Broadway in 2011, A-list celebrities Samuel L. Jackson and Angela Bassett were the lead actors. The Mountaintop it's very personal to me just because, you know, it's it was inspired by my mom's biggest regret. And I remember she would like tell me this story over and over again. You're like, you know, when he came to do that strike, I wanted to go and hear him talk. I wanted to go down to Mason Temple, but Big Mama would not let me. Because mm -hmm. there was this rumor out in the in the in the community that, you know, someone was out to get him. Really? Yeah. This, so this was the day before he was shot. So it, it's interesting when you kind of take in, you know, your your parents' regrets and kind of, you know, um, think about like what what would have happened, um, you know, had she been able to be in the room with him mm -hmm. um, in the mountaintop. And basically, it's a, it, it's him after he's given the I've been to the mountaintop speech and he's come to the Lorraine Motel and he's tired and weary and he's dealing with a cold and then he orders a cup of coffee and this maid, beautiful maid named Kame, mm -hmm. named after my mother, mm. comes in and serves him coffee and serves up some other stuff too. <laughs> they have a lot of conversations about politics, about the civil rights movement, about the future of black people in America. And so um, it's very imagined because there is, you know, the only that right. exists is my mama. Yeah. And what did your mother think of the mountaintop? Oh my gosh. So she comes to London and um, we did the play at this theater called Theater 503, okay. which is like the 60 seat theater above a pub. And, um, you know, Dr. King comes in and, you know, he's depressed and, you know, he's trying to write his, his speech. And then Cat May, the maid, comes in and she is like, <laughs> She had a moment of like, just being freaked out. And and at, later on, she ended up crying because she was like, you listened. Mm. And I think it's that thing, you know, as an artist, particularly a black artist, is this thing of wanting to always pay homage to your ancestors and mm -hmm. always wanting to reflect mm -hmm. um, what your parents went through. And the play <laughs> received some criticism and oh, yeah. some controversy, correct? Oh, absolutely. I mean, just because we look at Dr. King as a kind of Jesus, right? Sure. I mean, you go, you know, when my grandmother was alive, you go into her house and you see 
basically three pictures. Mm -hmm. It's Dr. King, mm -hmm. Jesus, mm -hmm. and maybe one family member. Right. You know, it's, it, he is put on a pedestal and the fact that I kind of snatched him off of the pedestal and, and, and portrayed him warts and all, you know, with desires, like earthly desires, with failings, with um, doubts, um, offended people. You made him human. Absolutely, because that's what we, we do as dramatists. I want people to be moved by the humanity that I'm putting on the stage. But like, people walked out, people, oh yeah. I remember um, uh, there was one, I had like a really big ponytail and like there was this family, they got up and they like knocked me in the head as they were walking out, they were like so furious. Really? Um, but then on the flip side, there are other people who are just like, oh my gosh, I feel as though if he, this extraordinary human being, is actually so ordinary, then me, this ordinary being, can be extraordinary like he ah. was. To me, that's the the whole reason why I wrote the play. Mm. I want people to, to kind of see the king inside of themselves. Sure, she had her critics, but Katori's deliberate and honest approach to storytelling garnered some serious attention at the highest level. In 2010, The Mountaintop earned the prestigious Olivier Award for Best New Play. Katori was recognized internationally with the highest honor in British theater. You were the first black woman to ever win the I Olivier know. Award. Isn't what that was that sad? like? I was sad. <laughs> yeah. I should have been the 10th. I think it's interesting because, you know, you were going to be an actress I and your was. life took an entirely different <laughs> turn. What happened? Tell me. We'll hear her answer in just a minute. But first, To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American National agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. If you're like me, there are times when you want to feel like you're having a fancy cocktail, but you don't actually want the alcohol. So I love Kentucky 74 from Spiritless. It's a distilled, non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails but with just 15 calories per serving and none of the guilt. You can pre-order your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use the promo code to dine for to get free shipping. Now back to our conversation. You were going to be an actress. I and was. your life took an entirely different <laughs> turn. What happened? Tell me. So I was an undergrad at Columbia University. Mm -hmm. And our teacher, she gave us an assignment. She was like, go to the library and find a, uh, a play that has a scene for you and your scene partner's type. And so me and my scene partner were two young black women. Mm -hmm. So we go to the library, spit all night there, pulling down all kinds of books. Like this one ain't, we ain't got no scene for two black women. This one ain't got, oh Lord, August Wilson does he get? No, he don't, but which is crazy because he August Wilson, yeah, but August yeah, Wilson, he, yeah. he ain't got no scene for two young black women. Mm. So we go, 
back to class the next day and we were like, you know, Becky, we need some suggestions. We ain't find nothing in the Columbia Library. And her name again was <laughs> Becky. Yeah, her name was Becky. <laughs> you're not you're not fabricating that. Not her fabricating. name really was Becky. Her okay. Becky. So you've been teaching for I don't know how long. Give us some suggestions. Ten seconds went by, twenty seconds went by, forty seconds went by. Wow. And Becky could not come up with a play that had a scene for two young black women. Incredible. And so in that moment, I was like, I'm going to write those plays then. And it was this kind of silence, which didn't announce it to the world, mm -hmm. but I just knew that there's a scarcity that I think I can change. Mm. Katori penned play after play, depicting what she knows best, stories of African-American culture in the South, Hurt Village, Saturday Night, Sunday Morning, and Blood Quilt, to name a few. And most recently, Katori's words went from the stage to the small screen. Let's talk about P-Valley. Yeah, <laughs> I love you said You know they made me change it to P-Valley. <laughs> P-Valley is an unflinching drama based on Katori's play of the same name that will premiere in 2020 on the Stars Network. The hour-long series delves into the lives of the women who work at a Mississippi strip club. What was it like to research the lives of pole dancers? Life-changing. How? Absolutely life-changing. So I grew up in the South, and what's interesting about Southern Black folks and Black women in particular is that the strip club world mm -hmm. is not something that we kind of thumb our nose at. Like, it's something, it's a place that you go and you have birthday parties there, bachelorette parties there. It's, and you look at these women who are on the pole like sheroes. Like, I wish I could do that. Mm -hmm. I wish I could, like, you know, turn upside down and, you know, <laughs> For their athletic rock prowess. on. It's yes. all about the athletic right. prowess. And so I remember I took a, I took a pole dancing class when, when I got to New York, when I was like um, after school. I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> and it made me have so much more respect mm. for them. And so I think, I think I interviewed like 40 women. I went to like 40 strip clubs, like all across the nation. Cause there's a difference. You went to 40 strip oh, clubs? Oh yeah, there's a difference. There's, you know, <laughs> Southern strip clubs, they wild. <laughs> Up North, which is interesting cause it's like more conservative and more right. religious, but yeah, they're like, they wild. But it was just an honor to meet with these women and see they're real people. To They're not just them. to humanize them. Right. I try to look at a marginalized community and then look at who's marginalized within that marginalized community. That is really part of Katori Hall yeah. and your approach. It's like a. It's almost like a political mm -hmm. thing that I'm doing mm -hmm. to give voice to people who I think the world has kind of turned away from mm. or have made voiceless. Mm -hmm. the, the longer you are in this game, in terms of storytelling the more power you have and 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 your platform gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it's like well if my platform is bigger then it can hold more of us well i mean and that just leads perfectly into what has to be one of the great honors of your life which is to tell the story of <gasps> tina turner oh my god don't make me cry <laughs> what is that like to even attempt to begin oh to tell the greatness that is tina goodness. turner i don't think i would have been given the job had i not done everything that I've done before and had my mission statement not been what it is. Mm -hmm. 
Turner was working on a musical. She wanted to share her life story, her real life story, the story behind the glamour and lights, and she needed the right person to tell it. One of the producers from the mountaintop was working with Turner and knew exactly who to call. Because Tina had a request. She was like, I don't want no Disney version of my life. Mm. So no, didn't want it sanitized. You know, obviously there's a book out there, there's a, a movie out there, but she wanted to, you know, revise some things and to go deeper mm -hmm. um, into, you know, the emotional consequences of everything that happened to her. Mm -hmm. And so she was like, I don't know if a musical will allow me to do that. But if you can find someone who's willing to be brutally honest about everything that I've gone through um, and you know put it in a musical form, then I will allow you to tell my story. I imagine being from the same soil mm -hmm. and knowing what it means to be from Tennessee helped inform that character. Absolutely, it was just like all the stars aligned. You know, I have had a very particular lived experience, being Southern, being Black, being a woman. And so that kind of starting point really allowed me to quickly just get in there and kind of, you know, reconstruct and, 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 and infuse the script with just cultural specificity, political context, social context, cultural context, psychological context. How do you think you're different having told Tina's story? Because I imagine you have to take on get inside her skin and her personality and live it a little bit to write it. Mm -hmm. How has that made Katori Hall a different person? Absolutely life-changing. I do not care what people think about me mm. as much as I used to. Really? Yes, because to sit across the table from that woman and for her to just lay out everything that she's gone through, like the ultimate survivor, this is delicious, by the way. Wow. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry I haven't really let you eat, so no, I apologize. Mm -hmm. I apologize. You obviously feel a huge responsibility, mm -hmm. or do you try to temper that with the fact that at the end of the day, you just want to be a great playwright, period? That's interesting. I think I started out feeling like, oh, this is my responsibility because I know there's, there's not that many of me Right. And so, you know, in the theater world and, you know, n not many black folks say, you know, I want you to be a playwright child, <laughs> right. you know, in the family. They're like, no, I want you to be a doctor. I want you to be a lawyer. Right. Can you be Steve Jobs? <laughs> you know, <laughs> playwright. Right. We ain't making no money. <laughs> the fact that I wanted to do that and, and to and to do drama, um, it, it was kind of, you know, I think my family was giving me the side eye about it. I feel like I do have a very deep responsibility to create nuanced um, portrayals of, you know, black folks especially. And do you feel like listening is one of your greatest strengths? Yes. As a writer? Absolutely. And it's funny, a lot of people don't know, but I actually started out as a journalist. Hmm. So I really think that that kind of laid the foundation for how I always approach my work. Mm -hmm. It's always very, you know, truth-based. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times inspired by real stories. With some liberties, right? <laughs> Lots of liberties. You know, you mentioned there have been hard days. Take me to a couple of them. I mean, what has been the hardest part of this journey? Now I signed a non-disclosure <laughs> agreement. I don't think I can tell you. <laughs> you no, no, tell me. I can tell you. There's a lot of hard days, you know. There's some hard days when you feel as though, you know, you have met a collaborator or like an institution, whether it's a theater, whether it's a network, who understands your work mm -hmm. and they understand what your purpose is. And then all of a sudden, 
you know, it it can shift where they they want you to prove yourself again and again mm. and again. So, so you feel like you're constantly having to convince people. Constantly having to convince, like, no, audiences will come to this work or audiences will understand the work. Mm. I, I've gotten a lot of, like, oh, you write in that little dialect of yours. Well, no, it's not a little dialect. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very important way that these people that I'm writing about, this is how they communicate. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes there'll be conversations about, like, can you, like, you know, I don't know if we should subtitle your show. <laughs> Like Are you serious? Yeah. I'm like, they speak in English. What do you mean <laughs> subtitle the show? Um, but you're trying to create a voice mm -hmm. for for a certain group of people. Yeah, like very marginalized. Even like communities that are marginalized within a marginalized community. Like that's who I'm trying to create space for. And that's how they for. talk. You know, sometimes people bring up like, well, will you make as much money? Is it for everybody? Is the show for everybody? And it's like, yeah, the show is for everybody. I think if you are specific culturally, if you are specific emotionally, then it's a universal story. Right. Do you get nervous on that opening night? I'm not going to be nervous. <laughs> They're going to be nervous. I'm not. I'm done. I have Your, done my, my work. My work here is done. I said, my work here is done. Yeah. I'm going to enjoy the party. I'm going to, you know, <laughs> sit at the edge of the dance floor and look at everybody dancing. Uh -huh. I'm so just happy and honored. I don't, like, I'm just not nervous about it anymore because uh -huh. what will be will be because it is. Mm-hmm. It's very Buddhist, I think. It is very Buddhist. Very <laughs> Tina of you. Very, very Tina. Tina. Um, uh, they say that the best entrepreneurs see a problem and then try to solve it. Mm. They find a void and Definitely. then they try to fill it. And although you're not an entrepreneur and you are very much an artist, you had an entrepreneurial spirit yeah. in the, the really the focus of your whole journey. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'd like to make a toast if I could. Oh, yeah! Yes, to you, Katori, for bringing me to Miss Lily's. Yes, this has been such Ms. a fun Lillis. Thank you. We gotta Thank drink our ting. Yes, <laughs> ting. This is my first ting. It's mm. delicious. To really experience what it's like to be Katori Hall, it's back out onto the streets of New York to the most famous stretch in the city, the Great White Way. Tina, Tina. <laughs> Katori's latest project, Tina, the Tina Turner musical, is just a week away from opening night, but fans are already lined up outside for a sneak peek performance. <laughs> what is it like to be here and see everyone in line? Um, hi, everybody! Hey. Tina, the music hey. is surreal. It's surreal, but you know, it's because of Tina. Yeah. Like, she has these amazing fans, and to just be able to encapsulate her story into a show, you know, this Katori had never written a musical. She met with Tina Turner herself, promising her it would be as real and gritty and as stunningly inspiring as Tina's own life. So do you consider yourself a playwright, a writer? I mean, you have yeah. morphed in so many ways <laughs> in just a short amount of time. But I'm a storyteller. You're a and storyteller. so whatever I need um, to use, whether it is the TV medium or, or stage, I would say that I'm just committed to telling good stories. So. And, and, you know, as you write about all of these different characters that are on a journey, mm -hmm. you must be pretty self-aware to realize that you, too, are on a journey. Oh, yeah. I'm on a journey. <laughs> I've been on a lot of journeys. And I think, in a weird way, it's just beginning. There is no question that Katori Hall is a master storyteller, a woman who has a way with words. But it is her ability to shine a light on the most marginalized characters in society 
that has made her so extraordinary. She starts with the people, the characters, and then lets them speak, so you know them too. Her work is an art, and yes, you get the feeling this woman is just beginning. Thanks for listening to To Dine For, the podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at to Dine For TV and Facebook at To Dine For with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For, the podcast, American National and Spiritless. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golner. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. 